0: Seeing you this morning. We've been talking the last several weeks about the blueprint for the church, God's design, what He wants from His church, how He wants it to look, how He wants it to operate. We're continuing that today. I'm a little bit uh, nervous about telling you what the topic is today because I think I don't think it's this way, but I think you're going to think it sounds really boring, and I don't want you, I don't want your eyes glazing over and you checking out, right? It's like a, it's a little bit like history class for some people. You know, I lo- I loved history, but I know for some people it's like, oh no, history. And, and 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 but although one time I had a class with a guy who, um, he was just real not inter- not very energetic, and he his first name was Bob and he became known to, to the students as a number of other names, like Boring Bob and Bullet Bob. They called him sarcastically because he wasn't very fast, and. Um, uh, I'm just hoping the day you leave here without giving me nicknames. And uh, so we're going to try to do that. You've probably already done that. But anyway, uh, more importantly, this topic isn't boring. It's good stuff. It impacts all of us. We're talking about church leadership. And we're up to chapter three where he lays out what the leadership of the church should look like. It's important because it's so easy to mess up and it can be messed up in a lot of different ways. Probably a lot of us know stories where church leadership got messed up, you know, some st- story about a abuse of authority or, or moral failure. A number of years ago now, I made a call down to Nashville to, to order some teaching materials. And as I'm talking to the salesman, um, we're going back and forth talking about inf- giving him information. And, and, and all of a sudden, I realize he tells me his name. and I realize this is a guy I grew up with. Weird, and so we start talking just about you know the old times and and, and how our families are doing. I asked him, "How's your dad doing?" His dad was actually my dad's assistant pastor for a number of years, and um, um, and and he, he stopped for a second. He said, "Oh, Tim, he goes, I uh, got to tell you, my dad, uh, and the phrase he used, shipwrecked my his faith," and he, he's. He left the ministry. He left my mom, he's, you know, he's just out there. And I like, that's so sad, it's sad to hear that, it's sad to see someone who had been actively pursuing God and pursuing, serving him and end up in that situation. We can mess up church leadership in a lot of ways. Sometimes people hear church leadership and they start thinking hierarchy, all these different titles and different levels. They think about a bunch of guys meeting behind closed doors and making all kinds of rules and regulations, and nobody's quite sure why those rules exist. It's a little, little clandestine. And it all gets very complicated. Well, that's not the way the scripture presents it. It's pretty simple, actually. It's something that we should all care about because it impacts every church and it impacts all of our lives. It's like the old saying, everything rises and falls on leadership. That's certainly true in the church. So if we want the church to be what it should be, leadership is key. And on top of that, I think there's also a reason for us to be interested in this today, we should care about it because whether or not we're actually serving in a leadership role, a lot of what he says to leaders here should apply to, to, to many of us. So i want to take a look. 1 Timothy 3, verse 1, he says this. It is a trustworthy statement. If many man, any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach The husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? and not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So he starts here in verse 1, talking about overseers. The overseers, sometimes as we look in, in, in scripture, they're called elders, sometimes pastors they're just it's just stressing different functions different responsibilities in this leadership role you know here at grace we have our we have pastors and then we have a, also a group of men from our congregation who serve as elders and they have the general oversight of the, the spiritual direction of our church and and uh, and uh, we appreciate their faithfulness in serving that area and keeping an eye on things and helping us to do the ministry here at grace these Overseers, these elders, were told that by, by, by Paul that it's a trustworthy statement. It's absolutely true. You can count on this. You can take it to the bank. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it's a fine work. See, leaders, they have to have a desire for it. If they, if they aspire for it, they have this, this objective that they want this. They have to have a desire. I was told before I ever entered the ministry that if there's something else you can do and be happy in doing that, you should go do that, whatever it is. And and the longer I do ministry, the more I can totally see that. I've seen people who are leading in churches and they're not satisfied and it's not a pretty picture. But when it's the one thing that you believe that God has for you, when you're convinced that doing this is his plan for you, and you pursue it, then the Apostle Paul says it's a fine work. It's a fine work. You notice it doesn't say it's an easy work, and it doesn't say it's fun work. It can be at times, but... It's not always, having been around this role all my life and doing it myself now for 30 years, it's not always that way. It's not supposed to be. We've got young men here at Grace who are looking at going into the ministry and getting training for it. That's great. What you guys have got to understand and know is it can be tough sometimes, but what keeps you going in leadership and keep is keeping your eye on what makes this work fine because it is, there's nothing like it. It's, it's high quality, it's first class work, and it's fine for a lot of reasons. I mean, think about it. You get to spend your life serving God. Your whole focus is serving Him. You can't get better than that. You know, it'd be like a kid dreaming his entire life that someday he could be a, a major league baseball player. You know, and he he gets and he finally he goes through all the process and all the training and all the discipline of getting to that point. And he gets to that level. And it's just like this is his this is his dream. Well, there's no dream as fulfilling as serving the living God. And then on top of that, some of us get paid to do it. It's crazy, right? I mean, this is. It's a fine work. It's fine because you're serving him. There's nothing compared to it. And, some, and then beyond that, you get to set direction for his church. And you get to serve God's people. And you get to try to reach people who aren't yet his. All of that and more makes it fine. And that's what gets you up in the morning. So if you ever go into a, a, a time where you're feeling a little burned out because you're going through a tough stretch... Go back to what it's all about. Go back to why it's fine. And it brings you back to being excited about what he's called you to do. But you gotta have that desire. Desire's uh, great. Actually though, it's, it, it doesn't fully cut it. It's not all that's needed. You also have to have the requirements. You got to meet those. And those requirements are extremely demanding. Think about what he says here. He starts with the overall requirement, above reproach. Above reproach, in every area and every aspect of your life, above reproach. Now that's for and that's pretty demanding, right? Think about all that that says. We know it can't say that leaders are sinless. They can't say that they don't make mistakes. I mean, nobody could lead if that was the case. But if you step back and take a look at the big picture of their lives, what it should say to us is their lives are marked by having such high character that no accusation is going to be accepted without proof. That's why they're above reproach, it won't stick to them. Not because they're so slick, not because they've got it so much together, but because overall their life so much reflects what it should, that the man is above reproach. There are no question marks behind his name. He's someone who's honest. He's someone who can be trusted. He's someone who radiates Christ. He's someone who loves people. He's someone who keeps his word. He doesn't use others, he's thoughtful, he's consistent, he's above reproach. That's a huge first requirement. I almost feel like today that the pendulum has swung the other direction. You know, a lot of times as leaders say, we, we wanna connect with people so we wanna point out, you know, that we're like everybody else, and we're like sinners like everyone else and, and, and we know all that's true. Nobody needs to act like they've, that they've got it all together. But there's another side to it that should be there. And it's right here with this requirement, above reproach. I mean, you could tell me you're a sinner. Guess what? I knew that already. (laughs) But what I need to know if you're going to lead me in a church is, are you above reproach? It's something like what Paul told the church at Corinth. Corinth. And I know our tendency is to tell people, hey, don't go follow any man. Don't go follow just any man. You know, you got to follow Jesus. But listen to Paul's words. And remember, this is the same guy that said in 1 Timothy 1.15, it's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. Paul's like, you want to talk about sinners? Yeah, I'm the leading sinner. I'm the one, I'm the worst of them. I'm the one out in front as far as the, the pack of sinners. But he also said this in 1 Corinthians 4:16. He says, Therefore I exhort you, be imitators of me. Wow. What are you talking about, Paul? I can say that. And he said it again, 1 Corinthians 11, 1. He said, be imitators of me just as I also am a Christ. Are you kidding, Paul? You think you've got it so much down that you're telling people follow you? Oh, you got some kind of ego thing going, Paul? No, what Paul was saying was, hey, follow me. Watch me. See what I do. Hear what I say. And then go do it. Live like I live because as you imitate me, and I'm imitating Christ, you'll become more like him. That's life above reproach. And there's a real sense in which every believer should be able to say that. For the leader, it's the first requirement. Living in such a way that if people followed you, they'd be more like Christ. It's a big one. All the other requirements, They sort of flow out of this one. He goes on to a number of other areas. We're just going to sort of run through these, trying to get the overall picture. He talks first about being the husband of one wife. If he's married, he's faithful to his wife. He's completely devoted to the one he's married to. He's faithful to his marriage vows. There should be no question on that. And he guards that. Husband of one wife, he should be temperate. That means he's clear-headed, he's self-controlled, he doesn't lose control. Emotionally or any other way, he's he's under control. He should be prudent. Real leaders have some sense about them. They make good, wise decisions in their lives and as they lead the church. He should be respectable. They live their lives in a way that deserves to be respected. People tend to look at them with some level of respect. He should be hospitable as it was expected as we look at the New Testament from all Christians, but especially in the life of a leader. They should show kindness and care to those who are in need, and typically in that time there was a lot of need. There were believers who were, uh, who were on the move a lot, some of them because of persecution, some of them because of ministry, and they were moving and, and having to be on the road, and they needed someone to take them in. All Christians were involved in taking them in. Believers, especially leaders, had to take that responsibility on. You should be able to teach. This is where a leader should have some skill. They need to have the ability to teach God's Word. The most important thing that a pastor does in a week is prepare himself and prepare the message that he's going to bring from God's Word. More important than any meeting— more important than any administrative decision he's making, it's getting ready to teach God's Word. It's a privilege. They need to know what they're doing. They need to have the skill to do it. They also need to be looking to improve because it's not only a privilege, it's also a high responsibility. If you're going to teach God's Word, it's a high responsibility. James said this in James chapter 3 verse 1. He said, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, Knowing this, as such, we will incur a stricter judgment. So if you want to teach, you got to know this, there's going to be a stricter judgment. Going with that responsibility and that that privilege is a high responsibility of knowing that God's going to hold you to a higher standard. Paul says, these leaders should not be addicted to wine is the last thing you need leading a church is a man who's controlled by some substance. Not pugnacious. I love that word, pugnacious. You know, what's what's the world's that talking about? It's not a guy who's aggressive and wants to fight. You know, not a guy looking for an argument. You You see people like that, you know, just constantly looking for something to argue about and fight about. God's leader should not be that way. In fact, he should be just the opposite. Gentle and peaceable. Gentle and peaceable. He's not talking about being a pushover. He's not talking about being weak. He's talking about not going out looking for a fight. Be taking the whatever power you have and bringing it under control. Free from the love of money. Not a, he should be a greedy person. Not about how he profits financially from it. That's not where his heart and his mind is. He manages his own household well. You should be able to take a look at his family. How's he doing with his kids? But if he, because if he can't manage his household, how's he doing? How's he going to take care of the church? It's just logical. If his house is a mess, what are you going to think is going to happen in the church? Paul says in verse six that he shouldn't be a new convert. Literally in the Greek, it says he shouldn't be newly planted. Because you don't know how grounded a newly planted guy is. And if his roots aren't established in the truth, he can become conceited. You don't do that to the church and you don't want to do that to him. Let him grow in the faith first. So don't be reaching in and grabbing somebody immediately for leadership when they come to Christ. Let them grow in their faith. You should have a good reputation with those outside the church. Because some people outside the church are going to put the most negative spin they can on his life. So he needs to protect his reputation as carefully as possible. Again, a man of integrity who pays his bills, he cares about others, he keeps his word. And you look at that list, you say, can you see how important it is to have leadership that meets these requirements? Because if you put a man in this position who, who who doesn't meet those qualifications, it can be devastating. Devastating to the church, devastating to the man. I think it's a major contributor to why so many churches find themselves in bad situations today. They've put the wrong people in leadership. Paul turns next as he's talking to Timothy to talk about another important role in the church. It's a service role, the role of deacons. We just had our deacons serve us this morning. Remember the first deacons in Acts 6? Acts 6, there was a need in the church. There was a specific role of serving that was needed. They they were to serve the widows. The apostles told the people, I want you to go in Acts 6 verse 3, they said, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. So the apostles are like, we have this role of sharing the word of God. We shouldn't neglect that role. You guys pick The right guys to take care of this need with the widows. And so the apostles told him, you go and you you find men who are of good reputation, men who are full of the spirit, men who are full of wisdom and who are willing to work. It's good stuff. And and so what you see here in in Paul's letter to Timothy is those base qualifications show up in the requirements that Paul lays out. And this is what it looks like beginning in verse eight. It says, deacons likewise must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children in their own households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So, similar in a lot of ways to the, to the requirements for elders, deacons were supposed to be men of dignity. And that was a good thing. You know, I think people hear that in, the, in, in, in our culture. You think You go outside the church and they hear the term deacon and it tends to have sort of a negative connotation to it, doesn't it? They think of people who are stern and sort of critical and, and maybe hypocritical and, 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 and just stiff. That's not what this is saying. When he talks about men of dignity, these are guys who, who can still enjoy life. They can, they can be—they're not cold, joyless people, but they're people who understand when the—have the ability to discern when things are to be taken seriously— and that's a, that is a position, a quality that's honorable. He goes on, not double-tongued. These guys aren't saying one thing to one person, and something else to someone else. So their speech is genuine. What they say, they mean. They're not addicted to much wine. He talked about this with the elders. We know life can't be influenced by it. Not fond of sordid gain. That's important because as they came in contact with money, as they provided for the needs of people, they could have found ways to, to skim some for themselves. These guys needed to be free from the love of money so that the ministry wouldn't be compromised. Holding to the mystery of the faith. That's a great one, isn't it? Holding to the mystery of the faith. What a person holds on to tells you a lot about them. These guys need to be men who hold on to the mystery of the faith. That's what they value. Not money, not popularity, not a good time. The mystery of the faith. The mystery, the truth that was revealed in the New Testament of Christ's coming. Of him living on this earth, living a sinless life. Offering himself on the cross, paying for the penalty, the penalty for our sin. Paying the penalty for the sins not only of Jews, but of Gentiles as well. People didn't see that coming. People didn't see salvation coming as a free gift. It was a mystery. But it was revealed in the, further in the New Testament. So people could understand that God was offering this to them freely by faith, apart from the law. People didn't see it coming that what he then offered to us was that he, when we turn to him by faith, he would come to live in us, the indwelling Christ. People didn't see that coming as a mystery. And what these guys, these deacons are, are, are known for is that they hold to, this is what's important to them. This is what they hang on to. The mystery of the faith that Jesus would love all of us he would love all of us freely, and that he would come to live in us and fill us for all eternity. These are things they hold on to. They do it with a clear conscience, with a life that reflects the faith that they believe in. So, again, they're not hypocritical in any way. They have to be, first be tested, a lot like the elders, not being new converts. These guys have to be tested, shown through time and experience their genuineness and beyond reproach again. There's no stain in their lives, no accusation that can legitimately stick. And then Paul jumps to the ladies for just a minute. These women who serve, like their male counterparts, they're to be dignified, so they carry a quality about them. They know what's important in life and what to live for. They're not malicious gossips, so they have to be able to control their tongues and their talk. They're temperate. They're sober in their judgment. They're faithful in all things, absolutely trustworthy. That's what the ladies need to be. And he jumps back to the men, husbands of one wife, faithful to them not only in actions but also in thought. Good managers are their children in their own households. So the deacon's kids have to be under control just like the pastor's kids, okay? For those who have served well, those who serve well as deacons, They attain high standing, not to to fuel their pride, but they gain respect and great confidence in the faith that's in Christ Jesus. Their service and their example bring confidence and assurance to themselves and to other believers. It's so different than what those outside the church may view the way they may view deacons. It's not negative at all. These guys, their lives build others up That's those who lead the church. That's the requirements needed to lead a church. Every church needs good leaders. Our church needs good leaders. And why I challenge you, all of us to is to whether we're, we are actually placed in a leadership position at this time or not, is to make sure our lives are as ready as possible to lead if the opportunity ever comes so that we can step up and make sure we're usable for God, to see as many people as possible come to Him, be built up in their faith. If you're already in a leadership position, my encouragement to you is to make sure you evaluate, that we evaluate whether or not our lives are continuing to match up. Because it's possible for things to change. Where we were once qualified to lead, it's possible for us to disqualify ourselves by the decisions we make and the lives we lead. For the sake of our church, and more importantly, for the sake of the name of the Christ, be the leader you're called to be. There's nothing greater than leading God's church. There's nothing more fulfilling than being a part of what he's doing in this world. Let's be sure we don't miss a beat in being who we need to be to grow his kingdom. Our church needs good leaders. You say, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not, not been asked to lead. Well, what I'm asking you to do is step up and serve. As you prove yourself in service, there may be opportunities for leadership. Step up and serve. We're gonna, we're gonna need that in the months ahead, right? When we open Tiffin up, there's gonna be, we're gonna need people there serving. We're gonna need more people here serving. Step up and serve. It's part of the, the process of becoming someone who can lead in the church as you've proven yourself through service. So step up and serve. Give yourself the opportunity. Give the church the opportunity to, to use your abilities and your skills and your, and your commitment to see what God can do through you. we've got a, a great opportunity ahead of us. Let's make it happen. Paul says, this leadership thing, it's a fine work. There's nothing like serving the living God. So, if you're here and you're not involved, but grace is your church home, my encouragement is get, find some place. Take the serve class. Step up. Find a place. See what God does through you. And see what God does for our church through your ministry. Let's stand and we'll pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, God, for the opportunity. Uh, to serve you here at Grace. Thank you for the the, the good people that come here and people that are committed to to following you and serving you and serving others. And I pray, God, that we'd all just be faithful in what you call us to do, wh- wherever it is that you've called us to serve. Um, if it's in the parking lot, if it's in the nursery, if it's teaching some class, if it's um, something up here on the platform, God. Help us to be faithful to what you called us to do. Help us to step up and be all you want. Thank you for the opportunity to be a part of what you are doing in this world. We love you. Thank you for loving us today. Father, we pray that you bless the rest of our day now. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.